Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, or Padomaro, my co-host Ruben, or Barefoot Farmer, and our intrepid friend Ben, or Bee Grasher, lurking in the background. It's episode 15. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. So this week, uh, Ruben and I have been very busy. The sun is <laughs> finally shining. So this might be a shorter than usual episode. And we're sort of, uh, as Ruben said in his last uh, post on Reddit, we're kind of feeling out the podcast and our, ske- you know, our schedule as we keep getting busier and busier. But we would like to keep doing it. So... So, yeah, so if things seem a little more disorganized, that's the reason. Um, All right, so first off, we're bringing back our segment from last week, uh, Listener of the Week. This one was Ruben's recommendation. He wanted to give a shout-out to Spiro, so take it away, Ruben. Yeah, Spiro's just been really vocal and adamant about supporting the show and um, I've had a lot of conversations back and forth, especially on the, the Friends of Eternal Discord and everything. Um, he's been chatting it up a lot there and just been really, you know, helpful. I think we're even going to go through one of his drafts later. And Yeah, and that was total coincidence, actually. But it's great that he's Listener of the Week and uh, sent in a draft for us to review. Nice. Yeah. It's no, it's no coincidence. He's he's been excited about the show. He says, I mean, he claims that it's helped him uh, get a lot better at draft. Um, whether or not that's true, who knows? But, <laughs> I, but we'll I, I, I like hearing it. We can and, get. Yeah, he's so yeah, very worthy listener of the week, Spiro. Thanks for all of your your thumbs ups and support. Yeah, and encouragement. Thank you. All right. So, how was your week, Ruben, in drafting? <laughs> all right I, i'm gonna be honest i didn't play a single game well first of all i you know like you said the farming is a all-encompassing sort of career once the weather warms up and and things start rolling so it's been le- a little less time and energy and um i've been watching a lot of people drafting to be fair i've, I've had fun watching um Man and Mouse and Matty Yoker and um, some Cassandra too. He's just such a good player, and that's that's been fun. But as far as playing myself, I I was camping my rating again for just no real reason. But um, I, I'm looking forward to getting back into it now that everything's reset. Though I've just been um, doing a little more ECQ prep. Yeah, I guess when I do have time, it's been mostly focused on constructed. So that that's pretty much where I'm at. I don't know how. What what have you been up to? I uh, I kind of turned it around this week a little bit. At least it feels like it. I had a couple seven win runs uh, finally, and way fewer two threes than I had been. I only played I played about four drafts, and um, yeah. So I'm in the middle, right in the middle of a draft right now that. Um, I have a hard decision, so I, I'm trying the Ruben method of putting it down. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, you're like in the middle of actually doing the draft. I'm in the middle of actually doing the draft. I probably put it down for too long because it's been like a day and a half now. But 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 uh, yeah. No, that that you, it'll give your brain time to reset, and you'll come back into you know you'll see what exactly you have and what where it's going. All right, so um, shall we move to card of the week? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so what's your card this week? I I picked a really flashy one, Coastal Recruit. I know. You <laughs> make the, the same joke every week when you <laughs> super flashy. I know, I know. This one's really exciting. Hey, I picked Dizo's office a while back, so I I, I feel like I made up for it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Coastal Recruit is the three three for three justice. Um, just vanilla with pledge and. I think this card is really solid, <laughs> and I, I it's kind of slowly crept up the kind of pick order for me personally in Defiance, just because uh, I, I find myself really struggling to fill out that early two and three drop unit count in a lot of my decks, and to have a unit that's decently statted, I mean a 3-3 three, three for three is like perfectly serviceable in the format right now it really does a good job brick walling a lot of two drops and um yeah it plays offense and defense pretty well and the pledge pledge is kind of one of those mechanics that was hard to initially assess and i've it's it's another one of those things like the card itself it's kind of slowly gone up in my estimation and i think i'm i'm to the point now where I, I like having at least uh, two or three pledge cards in like all my decks just for mm-hmm. consistency's sake. So yeah, I, I really have been having a lot of success with this guy in all of my decks. <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, it, it's kind of interesting. I because you picked this, I was kind of looking at Ben's worksheet with uh, you know where it goes card by card, and it's actually pretty high up there for what you would consider sort of a filler card. Um, You know, it's almost two times above uh, what you would expect just a card at random to be, which is um, pretty good. So it's like close to the 20th in our list of our all common cards. But yeah, so it's like it's way above replacement level. It's surprisingly high i think compared to like you know for me the closest comparison is the time when the sand crawler there's about half as many sand crawlers show up as uh as coastal recruits in our seven win deck lists that's kind of interesting to think about you know i don't know if it's a difference in just like justice prefer can use the three three better than time can use the three three or maybe or maybe it's pledge that's pushing it over the hump um yeah i think i mean pledge is kind of it's weird because it is kind of pseudo fixing yeah in a in a in a way that you have i mean i've I've noticed this this is something i wouldn't have assumed initially when these cards came out but after after having played with it a lot pledge is a really amazingly flexible mechanic because a lot of times you'll be like able to make a really easy decision most of the time where you're like okay do i need the justice no i don't okay i don't pledge oh i need it okay well it's 
super coming in handy right now. And yeah, it, it's it's been a lot more effective over the past few months <laughs> as I've played with it more and more. I find myself like really like I, I just like pledging a lot. And yeah. it, it seems that the just it also kind of works into the way Eternal does their power base and their <clears throat> I know most players who are listening now know this, but you know, when you redraw your hand, your first hand can have any number of power, but when you hit that redraw button, you get two, three, or, or four power cards. And that the the way the system works is really makes cards you know like seek power is the type of card that helps you kind of break the system a little bit and allows you to smooth out your power draws a lot because you know it there's still a lot of games where you only have two or three power hands and you don't draw your next power in the first few draws and you're just left not able to do anything and i think that that's a pretty common situation and having the ability to pledge early has kind of negated that issue too so i i think yeah it's 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 hard to to properly assess how great pledge is but i, I think that it's for draft and sealed too it's it's really good yeah cool so, and apparently constructed as well pledges <laughs> that's broken for a whole nother reason though come down on the broken talk just yet we'll see how we'll see what the results were that's what everyone said about Callus last dcq uh, good point good point and all four decks didn't make it out of the quarters yeah that's true so we'll see all right so my card of the week this week is nesting avasaur um which is the four cost elysian uh influence um, three three flying dinosaur and you may put a card from your hand on top of your library and give it minus two cost this is it turns out a very good card um because a four cost three three flyer <laughs> that's just good it's just good and i the reason i kind of wanted to talk about this is this is like in those class of cards that it has a text box and the text box seems to be there solely to throw you off of how good of a card it is. I feel like cat burglar, the, um, the three shadow three, two deadly rare is like the same way where you're like, and her ability is the opponent discards a relic of their, of your choice from their hand. Yeah. Well, this is never going to hit anything. So this is like a garbage card. And then you're like, Oh, actually, you know, just having a 3-2 deadly is not a bad card. And yeah, so it's, it's a very good card. Yeah, exactly. And Avasaur is the same way. You just like you read the text box and you're like, there is never a time I want to do this. This must be a bad card. But it's actually, you just have to pretend the text box isn't there and just look at it at rate. And then it's actually... Um, a very good card. So this is one of those, this is just a card that every time I'm like, I have to like remind myself every time I read it that I'm not playing it for its text box. I'm playing it because it's a, you know, a four power three, three flyer. I mean, people play six power three, three flyers. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I nesting Avisar, I think the last couple times I drafted it, it was amazing for me, and I don't think I ever even used its uh, its extra ability. Just it just never was relevant. It's it's also kind of card disadvantage. It um, is card. because you're putting something on top of your deck, which is yeah. kind of negating a draw. So unless you have something high, high cost in your hand to abuse with it, or an echo card or something, which are few and far between. Um, that's also something to think about, though. If you ever have a nesting Avisar and you see uh, one of the echo units pop up, um, it's a really good way to abuse that, <laughs> that effect. I, Avisar is famously used and constructed in like uh, crown decks yeah. and stuff because you can do that putting another Echo guy on top of your deck and drawing a bunch of extra guys with abilities and stuff. But just a 3-3 flyer for 4 in Limited is just amazing. Just every time. Yeah. Can't go wrong. There's not a lot of amazing flyers out there, so... Yeah. it's This is just the, the rate and the body for the cost is is definitely one of the better uncommons. Well, that's actually going to lead us nicely into our seven win run breakdown um but first i'd like to say thank you to all our contributors and explain for any new listeners uh what we do what we do is we collect all our listeners um seven win deck lists and put them in a spreadsheet and we have one that um breaks down sort of faction by faction sort of what factions are doing well and what colors are doing well in all the seven win decks that we've received and then we have another um, spreadsheet that actually goes card by card and kind of tells you what are the best cards and how well different cards are doing in the decks that we receive. If you have any seven wins, you can send them to farmingeternal at gmail.com and we'll put them in the spreadsheets. And then if you'd like to check out both of the spreadsheets, um, you can either look at Ruben's um, Reddit post about the podcast or the show notes for the podcast. Um, we'll also have links to both of those spreadsheets. So we also like to thank everyone who sends in um, deck lists each week. So first off, uh, the new people that sent in deck lists are Balkoff, Karsten W, CMSNCSU89, Matthias, Matt T, Nate S, Nero, who sent in seven deck lists, Whoa. and Terran Flame. So thank you to you, you all, and I hope you keep sending in uh, more deck lists. And then for our veteran contributors, there's Agent Dynamo, Ben Grasher, Caesar C, Fernando N, For the Eternals, KRL013, Old Rich, Alorn44, Patumaru, Staggerly42, <coughs> and Zelda64. Yeah, so it looks like you haven't drafted this week, Ruben. <laughs> I, I didn't make the list. <laughs> That's okay. I, I, I can, uh, I'll get back there. Don't worry. <laughs> I like that you're like, oh, yes, well, now we have ex- evidence of your lack of drafting. So uh, the thing I wanted to talk about um, just quickly is one of the things that... Um, we've been talking about behind the scenes are just um, how to accurately compare the factions. And this is just something that we haven't done a lot of 
on the podcast is just like talk about the different factions. And um, so Ben pulled up all of the blue, all the tricolor factions that have blue in it, which is uh, Ixton, Aurelian, and Genev. And I just wanted to go over some of the interesting um, sort of what cards are doing well in the different factions that are maybe a little surprising. Um, so first off, uh, let's go over Ixton. Um, so the top common in Ixton, yeah, so there's Coastal Huntsman, which is like the number one uh, drafted common in Ixton, but it's actually not in the top five of either Genev or Aurelian, um, which is kind of surprising. It makes sense that you really like Coastal Huntsman because you kind of like Ixton decks too, I think. Yeah, I, I it doesn't surprise me that the Aurelian decks don't use it as much because they're... <clears throat> their abilities to hit renown are much lower than Genev and Ixton. Yeah, especially it, with renown triggers that cause Coastal Huntsmen to to get bigger. Because actually, the That's number one common in Aurelian is Dragon Breath, which would trigger it, but not in it's, a super effective way. <laughs> no, not how you want to be triggering a Huntsman. No. Yeah, and then. Um, Kind of interestingly is uh, the number one uh, card or the number one blue common in Genev is Master Cartographer. Doesn't really make the top five in either of the other factions. So that's kind of interesting to think about because maybe Genev, since it's it has time time in it, you're kind of, you know Genev is going bigger, so maybe the the looting and looking for power or looking for certain cards is more important in Genev than Ixton, which is probably a more aggressive strategy and Aurelian is just doing Aurelian things. I don't know if you have a theory on why master cartographer might show up so much more in Genev than the other factions. No idea. I mean, I, I know that the game plan might be a little different. Like a lot of Genev decks typically, like you, like you said, they're a little like they're based on going big with mighty strikes and like infused guardians and stuff like that. So something like a cartographer kind of s- slips into that game plan really well. Um, whereas a cartographer makes no sense in a lot of like Ixton more a- aggressive decks that are looking for actual renowned renowned two drops and stuff. Um, and yeah, also we're seeing you know there's some uh some uh tribal things happening in here too which are quite interesting and might have an impact on where those cards fall cuz I cuz I know that maybe certain strategies like I know Ix, like Ixton Yetis for example yeah. is probably better than like Genev Yetis because the game plan of having some of those aggressive justice uh, pump spells and things like that might make a lot more sense. Well, I think it is interesting because all of them do have sort of like a theme to them. Like, you know, the, if you look at the Ixton top primal commons, there's definitely a more aggressive, more Yeti bent <laughs> to them. I did want to just go over the uncommons really quick because the top three Ixton primal uncommons are Courier Albatross, Cliff Diver Mantisaur, and Frostwave. And 
a couple interesting things about that is Frostwave was way more important to Ixton than Ginevra or Aurelian. Sort of makes sense. Um, Cliff Diver Mantisaur actually was way more important to Ixton ducks than the other two ducks, which I think is a bit of a weird one because you would think that that would just be universally good. But it's about twice as prevalent in the Ixton decks as it is in the Genev and Aurelian decks, which is kind of surprising. And then Courier Albatross is just like one of the best cards in all three. <laughs> yeah, it's Courier Albatross is number one in Ixton, number one in Genev, and number three in Aurelian. So yeah, yeah, pick pick up your Albatrosses when you can get them because. They're obviously doing well. Yeah. I, I think the Mantis, as far as the Mantisaur question, I think it does make sense as a top end for an aggressive deck, which Ixton tends to be a little more aggressive. So, and you know, Genev has all of those uh, Sentinels at its, you know, that, that they have so much access to good common Sentinels and stuff that their, their top end isn't hurting as badly for mm-hmm. something like an Albatross or a, something like a mantisaur but in general i I do think you're going to want to throw a mantisaur in any deck that you get if you have primal so um part of it you know maybe it's just not having quite enough deck lists though we're 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 at a statistically statistically significant number of decks at this point i'd say so yeah I, i like that we are seeing some interesting things yeah i i like that you mentioned Frostwave as being much more important for the Ixton decks, and I think in the past I've said Frostwave is amazing because it both can help, you know, save, like, buy you some time if you're a slower deck or be played aggressively if you're trying to race. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is showing that it's it's a little better if you're probably... <laughs> on the offensive like yeah and and i've that's been my experience as well that i love having a frost wave or two in a deck that's kind of going down the beat down plan um especially if you're trying to load up weapons on one or two guys and uh, when you get in those situations where you're racing with like a flyer um a frost wave just comes in and basically wins the game right on the spot because it it just puts that that race in your favor. Whereas if you're kind of, if you have a deck that's more focused on slowly grinding and, you know, using attrition and removal to develop your board and, and get in a good position, Frostwave is mostly played defensively in a lot of those instances or to break board stalls, which is relevant. I mean, it's good. I, I, I think you should be, Picking Frostwave pretty highly, personally. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And it could also be one of the things where just the community undervalues Frostwave from what you and I evaluate Frostwave as. And so people think of it as just an aggressive card and don't realize its other uses. And so it's just not showing up as much. You know, people just don't think to put it in their Genev or pick it in their Genev and Aurelian decks. As much as they, they you know prioritize it in their Ixton decks. Yeah, so there's always a little bit of that. The other weird one is Dusk Raider, which is 
most prevalent in our Aurelian deck lists. And I would think that would be a solid Ixton card, too. Um, yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Dusk Raider is the uncommon most frequently seen from the draft packs, right? In Primal. Like, I don't think anything else is coming close. Like, the rest of these are mostly Defiance cards. So, so Dusk Raider is super, super highly pickable for that first pack. And I, I've been telling people that I've I've seen multiple people asking me about picks and stuff, and they'll be like, "Do I take this?" And there's like a dust crater in the pack, and I'm like, "Take that dust crater," because that card is like super powerful, premier two drop. That if it triggers on like a flyer or something, or an infused guardian, or any, you know, it's just it can be crazy. Berserk is just a very powerful ability all around. Yes. Yeah, there, there's not always a lot of crossover in Constructed and Limited, but this is one of the cards that, that does. But yeah, it's it's our number... Like, I think you were just about to say, it's our number one uncommon in Aurelian, which is pretty wild. Yeah, and it's just interesting because it's also... It's like the number one Aurelian card, um, but then it's not in the top... Uh... Oh, jeez, I lost it. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. It's not in the top five of Ixton, and it's fifth in Genev. That was just kind of interesting. I don't know. That just might be variance or how it's been working out. But um, surprising that Dusk Raider seems more important to the Aurelian decks than the other decks, um, as far as our winning deck lists are. The other yeah. uh, couple things to take note of is one of the most consistently good ones is Glacier Shaper, which is um, about the same in importance in all three of the factions. So that's just like a consistently good card that you don't mind playing no matter what you're doing. Yeah, two, a 2-4 two for three is a really good rate. Yes. Especially, as you know, that can vary from format to format, but right now it seems like a 2-4 kind of plays really good defense against a lot of the either go-wide strategies or more aggressive decks, too. Yep. And then the final card I want to talk about is Parry, which is the second most common uh, primal card in Genève and Aurelian, but then it's uh, fifth in Ixton, which is a little surprising. That is weird. That might just be a strange variance thing. Yeah. Because I do think it's really good in all three, and maybe even slightly better in Ixton. I think that could also... It could almost be the opposite problem of Frostwave, where people think of it because it gives plus two health as a more defensive card, and so they put it in sort of slower, more defensive decks, kind of like what Aurelian and Jitnev can be, while they don't think of it as like a renowned trigger or whatever. And so it's not quite as prevalent in uh, Ixt Index. Yeah, that's interesting. I, it also may be that I know that Genev and Aurelian both have death touch units, um, mm -hmm. scorp scorpions and stuff. And, and I know that a lot of people are, are on to the power that is <laughs> parry on a death touch unit or a Carrington Stewart or a scorpion or something. You can just kill anything, literally anything. It's it's two power, kill a guy. A and with the upside of 
being able to throw off combat math at uh, fast speed. So yeah, it's and just that, really strong in all of the decks, really. And that actually speaks to that. That might just be the answer right there, because Dragon Breath in the commons is the same thing, where it's really high up in Geneva and Aurelian, and is not quite as effective in Ixton. And part of that just might be is without access to time, you're losing out on a lot of those deadly units that make it sort of where it's at its best, and that's showing up in the stats. So I guess the big takeaway of this whole segment is uh, draft deadly units with your parries and dragon breaths, right? Yeah. And never pass an albatross or a mantis. mantis If you have to choose between the two of them, uh, good luck. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. It's actually pretty close for a lot of decks. Um, It is. It's it's surprisingly close. I mean, an albatross blocks a mantisaur, really, and draws an extra card, so... Yeah, I because I think if most people would say the Mantisaur is more powerful, but the Albatross just consistently, we consistently get more Albatrosses than Mantisaurs. Yeah, and an, and an Albatross can be played on three, which is super relevant because sometimes you yeah. just need a two-two flyer for three to throw your stalwart shield on and just win the game (laughs) i think it's just like a surprisingly powerful card i think the fact that it's so important to ixton just like shows how good it is because you would think albatross is kind of a because it draws a card with amplify that it's kind of a, a more slow controlling card or like sort of a win con for a slower bigger deck but the fact that even Ixton is making really great use of it, and it's like four times the rate that you would expect it to be in Ixton, so it's like it's like one of the most important cards to Ixton. As far as like, there's we have ten of them in thirty three Ixton decks, so it's it's pretty high up there. It's yeah, it's just very flexible. Yeah. All right. Cool. So that was our little segment about Primal. Uh, let me know. Let us know if that was understandable or clear to anyone, because <laughs> we we'd be happy to um, go over the other colors too. And I think I'll post um, some of these um, this document that Ben sent us so that you two can kind of like skim through it. I think it's obviously a little bit clearer if you're have it in front of you and are looking at it. But um, I hope some of this got across in uh, audio format. But that'll be linked to in the show notes. All right. Oh, oh, I also, I wanted to give, while we're in this segment, a quick shout out to my brother, because I told him I would. Because he's been drafting Yetis for, like, so, in the last, like, week or so, he just got back into drafting. And he, he drafted a deck that he got seven wins with really easily and it's got four mischief yetis four yeti wind flyers and four slope sergeants and three mighty strikes it was just like and and when he showed me this deck he's like this is the most broken deck i've ever seen i was like i i was missing the numbers at first i was like it just looks like a bad oh the times four what you really did that like it, it was funny that he did this because he obviously doesn't listen to the show because, 
you know, <laughs> I've been talking about not going all in on tribal stuff. He he wouldn't he wouldn't care. It wouldn't stop him anyway because he he loves his yetis. But like, it, it shows that there are payoffs and there is like a really clear advantage to going all in on on a tribal theme when it's open. Like if if you can pick up like you see slope sergeants coming really early which i I think is what happened and he's like all right well they're not going to be picking slope sergeants i will and then he just a steady flow of yetis just just constantly coming and ended up with i mean this this deck list looks maybe like the strongest deck i've seen in the format and it's something that i would probably not ever pull off with my current um, strategy of not going in on any uh, tribal mechanics and synergies early and kind of staying open. Like it's literally not possible to, to stay open and avoid tribal synergies and ever end up with something this broken. So yeah, I, I don't know what the lesson is here, but <laughs> it's, it shows that there, there might be, it's, it's fun because it shows that there's like, other angles to this format than I'm even fully grasping because you know for me I had some failed tribal decks early on in the format and I was like oh just never touching that stuff again like just I'm gonna avoid it and just try and draft good cards and win games that way and actually had success with that but other people have held on tight to the yetis or something or sentinels or you know things like that and are having good success with it so i it's just something to take note of i suppose i don't know i guess luck has to play a role too yeah in pulling together a four-time win yeti wind flyer four slope sergeant deck i mean obviously i think everyone listening to this podcast has lost to a very broken um tribal deck <laughs> in this in oh, this yeah. format but i i will say i i will caution against going headfirst into tribal synergy unless it's so obviously open like maybe it was for your brother in uh this deck which is deck uh, 129 in the spreadsheet for those of you who want to look at it and uh marvel and we've gotten a lot of emails this week, actually, of just people commenting about how they're sort of taking Cassandra's advice of just being not just like, I think this last week or two, people have really started to stop focusing on synergy and are just like, once again, just like trying to stay open, drafting good decks and going back to sort of drafting fundamentals sort of like what was important in the last format and are just having a lot, a lot of success with that. So like I said, we probably, we probably got three or four people who, who made comments along those lines this week. Cool. I mean, that's my experience too. Nice. So, you know, those high powered synergy decks and we've had, you know, we've talked about our four um, scour stone sentinel deck. So yeah, like like we were saying, the tribal decks are there. People are able to draft it. Um, it's just it's I think a little bit of a feast or famine kind of thing. So if you got gold to burn, you know I would say go ahead, try to go all in on it. Right. Have... If it's if this is like your draft to make the top hundred or something, 
Maybe don't. Yeah. Don't be first picking Yetis. All right. It's available. And I think that's what they were going for with this new draft format. And as things have kind of panned out, I'm, I'm getting more excited by it in general. The fact that they, they didn't make it. So you had to pick a tribal lane, you know, at at first that's kind of what I thought it was going to be like looking at the draft packs. I was a little worried that it was like, Oh, do I have to like solve this puzzle and figure out exactly what combo of tribal cards to play? And they've made it so that the tr- the tribal stuff is kind of uh, just it's just there, like it's available if you know it's flowing to you. But otherwise, you can still draft a consistent deck without it pretty yeah. easily. Yeah, I, my thing though is since the draft pack size is obviously var- variable. They just couldn't add five slots for some strangers. <laughs> just stuff five more commons into these draft packs. They're just trying to challenge us. Yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> okay, so shall we move on to Spiro's draft here? Yeah, let's go over his draft. Pack one, pick one. Cards of contention. There's the Lethri Falchion, which is the four shadow shadow, four one weapon that grants unit lifesteal. There is a Snapping Brush Stalker, the four time time, five five, when an enemy spell is played, put uh, Brush Stalker back into your hand. There's a Dragon's Breath, a Seek Power, and an Extinguish. And Spiro took the Dragon's Breath, which, um, so what are you thinking here? Uh, I think that weapon is so powerful. It's I, just a game-breaking weapon. Um, for first off, a four-power weapon in this format that's that's really strong is triggers a lot of renowned effects for extra um, power and stuff as well. It's is pretty relevant, but also life steal in draft and and sealed is such a big keyword like it's so powerful yeah. like the the impact of being able to give life steal to one of your flyers or something um and get a hit in it it, it flips the the race almost immediately if if you are racing which many games you are you're kind of like mm-hmm. you know trading damage here and there um and i, I think this card is really good i think drag they're correct that dragon breath is a is a very solid card and not a bad first pickable common in the format in general, but I, I don't think it's, it's powerful enough to be better than this weapon for me. Uh, and, and actually I think I'm a little higher on a extinguish than dragon breath personally in a lot of yes. um, decks. So that that's my take on it. And, and seek power also is, is <laughs> Oh God. I have so much trouble passing seek powers now. Yeah. It's it's really hard. No, I would have gone with a weapon though for sure. Yeah, the rare. I agree. Uh, I de- I definitely would have gone with the weapon and probably the seek power or the extinguish as my next option if the weapon wasn't there. Um, yeah, you put that thing on an albatross and you're you're just winning the game. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, there's so few weapons in this new format that I think it gives any weapons you can get your hand on 
sort of even more value because I mean, first off, people aren't expecting it. And so I think there's, you just get equity in, in that regard. Like in the old format, there were ways to like easily buff your power, um, you know, by four or three. Um, but people just aren't expecting you to have your flyer go from a one, one or something or two, two. Yeah. And and if you just, I think about like a lot of board states where you're, you're, cons- you know, you, you're trying to imagine like a dragon breath is killing a guy. It's exhaust. It's, you know, you have to mentor. So you're exhausting one of your guys to use it, to kill something, to either take care of a threat or to, you know, remove a blocker potentially or something. Whereas like the Lethri Faustian in so many more scenarios in my mind, I'm, I'm imagining it just like hitting a flyer or a quick draw unit or something and just putting way more pressure than a dragon breath ever could just by making one of your units crazy powerful. And I, I think just the, just the, the argument about the impact of that card being much higher in a, a typical game is, is for me, you know, pretty, mm-hmm. pretty solid. All right. So pack uh, one, pick two. Cards in contention. There is a Moon Dial, the three time time relic. Summon Nightfall. Once per turn, you may pay five to draw a card. There's an Annihilate, the two shadow, kill a unit with a single faction. And an Emerald Ring, which is the three justice um, relic. Once per turn, you may pay three to give a, put a plus one, plus one weapon on one of your units. So I think those are pretty three pretty solid uncommons we have here. And um, Spiro took the Annihilate, which I think is probably the obvious pick. Yeah, super obvious. Yeah. It's also fast. I know we've we've, we've talked about Annihilate before. Yeah. Always, always a highly, highly picked card. Yeah, but I'd be happy with any of those, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. so Spiro now has a Dragon's Breath and an Annihilate in his pile. And we have a Lethri Falchion and an Annihilate. Okay, so pack one, pick three. Uh, cards in contention. There is a Lethri tar- Target Caller, a Trailmaker, the Iceberg War Chief, which is the five Skycrag, five three uh, Yeti Warrior. Your spells deal plus two damage. Your other Yeti have plus two attack. And there's a Long Shot Marksman. And Spiro took the Trailmaker. I think in this, Spiro- yeah, this hey. looks like just a preference pick of sorts here. And I'm I'm with it. I've I feel like Trailmaker has gone up to a certain degree because yeah. it used to, it used to be kind of crowded in that two slot with strangers and stuff. And Trailmakers weren't quite as important. Um, and I, I like that they're showing some discipline here in kind of assessing they're like we're still really early this is just pick three of the entire draft so i'm just gonna pick the card that i think is the best out of this pack and regardless of what i already have and i i like that approach and i don't think trailmaker was a bad call here i think it for me it's it's pretty close with the yeti war chief um 
just because that that card just kind of screams like waste an early pick on me because <laughs> if I work out, it's really nasty. I, I watched somebody lose to this card recently that where their opponent just went turn two Yeti two drop turn three Yeti two drop turn four two Yeti two drops and they're just like okay this is kind of rough but I guess I can handle it and then they followed it up with the war chief and it was like oh I just lost the game like they just immediately lost the game on the spot to that card and so I, I think it's it's pretty strong considering that Yetis are a supported tribe i know that i like we just had this whole conversation about avoiding tribal mechanics for more powerful cards um so i'm sure even spiro listening to this would be like come on war chief really yeah i'm about to call you crazy so (laughs) no i like the trail maker pick i'm down (laughs) yeah yeah i actually when you're like i would be considering i was kind of thinking you might say left right target caller especially I don't think for Spiro that's a good pick, but if you had Annihilate and the and the Falchion in your pool, I you know I I would have a lot of trouble picking between the two cards. I I think I would actually pick the long shot marksman, marksman before I'd take the target caller, just because of their influence costs. Um, Mark marksman is just consistently more useful in more scenarios and is more playable. Yeah. In a lot more opening hands, especially considering we're a lot of our decks that we're drafting are three faction too. So <clears throat> I, I think that's what's killing the target color for me in the format in general is that mm-hmm. it's double shadow influence requirement. It's just it's a really hard to make work. I think there there are decks where it's going to work and it's going to be really powerful. But I know, but Ruben, we have a mono shadow deck. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's okay, so <laughs> I still think I would probably take the marks even with all the mono shadows. Yeah, no, I know, but I mean, I yeah, or the tra- I mean, I like Trailmakers, so that would be a tough pick for me. So pack one, pick four cards of contention. There's the Flight Lieutenant, which is seven justice, four four in power. Your units get flying this turn. There's an ins- insistent automaton, which is the four time four five. Summon, put one of your other units into your hand. There's a Blood Beetle, a Serene Excavator, and a Back Alley Delinquent. And uh, Spiro took the Flight Lieutenant. I like that. He's showing that he's got a lot of patience, which is good. Because I I do think that is the strongest card in the pack in terms of power level. Which, with... A close second, the uh, insistent automaton. Yeah. Um, for me personally, I, I think that there's a lot of good come into play effects, summon effects. I mean, you know, in this format at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, I in a four or five for four is just such a great stat line. But, yeah. But the flight lieutenant is the type of card that that I, I liked picking. You know, wasting an early pick on because. It's a card that's both splashable and can win, and it just wins the game. Like it, it your whole team gets flying, right? <laughs> yeah, it's it's not just one of your units; it's your whole squad. So, uh, a lot of games can come down to whether or not you draw this, and can follow it up with a power. And you know, if you're it, the the format slowed down a little bit. I've heard people say, saying this as well 
recently that there's not as many of those aggressive super powered weapon decks and um like running around so with the format being a little slower and a greater chance for these board stalls to happen something like flight lieutenant just wins the game mm. on its own but it's and only a 1.5 on the tier list interesting yeah yeah i mean i i that, that is interesting i i don't know that that might be you know the the type of rating that's given to a card based on previous formats and feelings about a card but i think at the moment that that card's perfectly serviceable yeah i mean yeah flight lieutenant's a little weird for me because i think when you read it you're like wow this card just wins the game on the spot i mean obviously it's a lot of power it's eight power in a sense um in order to do that but i hardly ever see this card yeah it's pretty uncommon <laughs> zing <laughs> um and um not only that it's actually below background rate so it's we see we have less of them in our seven win decks than you would expect just from an out like a random uncommon which is a little surprising to me i mean it's not super surprising because it's like i said a very expensive card but i don't think it really lives up to its expectations but yeah, I don't know. If I, I think it's it's obviously I would never be picking this over a really solid two or three drop or something. And I don't think this pack really presents yeah any of that. I, I think it would have been really hard to pass up that automaton, though, personally. Yeah. Th- those would be those would be the cards I was looking at. And like you said, even though it's not it's not a great card, according to our spreadsheet. Because it does have such a powerful effect, it still might be a card worth, like you said, using in early pick on, you know, and then you can build your deck around it, even if it's, you know, not necessarily, you know, the best card, according to our spreadsheet. Um, Okay, so next, and just to remind everyone, um, so Spiro has a Trailmaker, a Flight Lieutenant, an Annihilate, and a Dragon Breath. So they're going five colors. So <laughs> all they need is a fire card to be in all, all the colors. Unfortunately, pack five doesn't prevent present one. So cards of oh. contention. There's a slush dumper, which is the four primal three three ultimate pay for to give slush dumper plus one plus one for each of your other yetis, and each of your yetis deal one damage to the enemy player. There is an entrapment, a baying sarasaur, and a long shot marksman. And um, and Spiro took the entrapment, which I think is a fine pick here. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I I think you know it's always hard to pass a good two drop, but you know removal is removal. Yes. So pack one, pick six, uh, cards in contention. There is a Jex Choice, the five Fire Shadow. Um, put a plus one, plus one weapon on each of your attacking units or kill an enemy unit not welding a weapon. There's a Season Spelunker, the three time three, three, plus two, plus two while you have a relic. Uh, pay five to play a Power Stone. And there's a Yeti Snowslinger, I guess. 
There's actually quite a good Yetis deck that... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'm not feeling so stupid for talking about how good Warchief looked way back when. <laughs> but uh, uh, Spiro took Jack's choice, so he finally got that fire that he'd been. <laughs> He's just going. He just really wanted to pull off a five faction deck. Yeah. I, I can't. I can't pass season Spelunker here personally. Yeah. Um, because it's a three three for three, which is totally fine with a really solid set of text on it the ability to make a power stone and also become a five five with a relic which is really not hard to pull off in this format um so yeah i i would have just taken the three drop personally because i i would have liked having one of the premier Mm -hmm. premier three drops for my deck this early in the draft yeah i think yeah this is kind of interesting i think this pick uh really tells your like where you think the draft starts sort of or how willing you are to like stay open because i think pack one pick one i would probably take jack's choice over season spelunker personally um you know jack's choice is removal it's doing really well in our spreadsheet it's like one of the best uncommons yeah, it's really flexibly powerful, too. Exactly. But now I'm like, I just don't know if I, I want to add fire to my mix here. You know, I would be a little bit more solidly Xenon than Spiro is. And so the season Splunker just, like, really looks good for me. So I just, I just don't know if by pick six, I'm still quite so willing to, like, pass up a much more castable, maybe slightly lower power level card. You know? Yeah. And you seem to be in the same boat. Yeah, I, I, I'm in agreement there. But so, I, I this is crazy. I like I like the way he was approaching this draft though. Yeah. Like, I'm taking the most powerful card every single pack, no matter <laughs> what. <laughs> I don't care what factions they are. I'm, I'll figure it out later. So this pack one was just so kind to Sparrow. So um, he f- finished up his pack. Um, he also he got a Nocturnal Creeper, a Monolith Guardian, oh. a Sarasaur Bull. Wow. So that was... We didn't <laughs> see it, but that was somewhere between picks 7 and 12. Jeez. <laughs> uh, Sandglass Parma... And uh, last light infusion to fill out the pack. That was pretty late for a rare dinosaur. A very and one of the only ways to kill attachments in the format. Pretty cool. The monolith guardian would have been an amazing uh, follow up to a season spelunker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like a constructed deck I was toying with at one point a while back. All right, so pack two, pick one. Uh, cards in contention. Uh, the rare of the pack is the uh, Eaton Sedacious Noble. The four Firefire Justice Justice uh, Pledge cares about renowned cards. There's the Twin Twin Fang Cobra. The four time time two one deadly, and then you uh, entomb create a two attack uh, Viper Fang with deadly. There is uh, Oathkeeper's Hammer and an Iron Hook. And Spiro took the Twin Fang Cobra. Nice. 
Yeah. I like that card. It's, I think it's good. It's totally a defensible pick if you're already solidly in time, which it appears like the he was. <laughs> yeah, and time obviously was very open in pack one, so I think I would want to stay on that train too. Um, and their only fire card was Jack's Choice. Their only justice cards were Flight Lieutenant and Entrapment, so I could yeah. see saying that. And, and Cobra also goes really well with the Dragon Breath. <laughs> he first picked. Yeah, like we were talking about actually just earlier. Also, shout out to how bad eaten Seditious Noble is. <laughs> I've never played that card or ever seen it do anything worth noting in any deck. Yeah. It's just so hard to pull off. <clears throat> and its its renown effect is, isn't even that game-breaking in any sort of way. So really, at the end of the day, it's just a 4-4 four, for four, 4 that has really difficult uh, influence requirements. Yeah. It has Pledge, to be fair. <laughs> it's got Pledge, so it's not bad. Like, it's it's a perfectly playable card if you are in those colors, but not a rare worth uh, uh, picking over anything solid. Mm-hmm. All right, so now... Pack two, pick two, cards in contention. There's an Avagraft, which is the four Justice Justice Relic, uh, summon, kill a unit, and uh, entomb, create a 3 3 flyer for your opponent. There is an Arachnidon Egg. There is there's an Awaken the Ages. There's an Oni Forge Master and a Curator Spear. Um, and Spiro took the Arachnidon Egg. I just don't know if I could do that. Um, I think I would have taken Avagraft or maybe Awaken the Ages. But what do you think? Um, I'm I'm not like a huge Arachnidon Egg fan. That is um, very true. My brother and I were actually talking about this recently, about Egg, because he kind of feels similarly to me. But it, it's just... It feels like the type of card that is so narrowly good. Like, it, it's good in some of the Aurelian Relic Matters decks, which um, I guess they could be on. They, they have the Monolith Guardian, so I'm sure that's what they're kind of thinking. Though, to be fair, Avagraft is also a Relic. <laughs> um, right. But I, I I would have a lot of trouble passing Avagraft because it's just a pretty straightforward removal spell in the format. Yeah, it doesn't hit flyers, which is kind of a problem because a lot of times your most problematic units you want to revolt want to uh, deal with are are flyers. But yeah, I I don't I don't think Egg is powerful enough to me. Though, though I can see where they were going with it. They were just looking for a solid early play in this deck, and it seemed to fit. Um, and, you know, they do have the Monolith Guardian, so it's kind of... Although Egg and Monolith Guardian, it's like, oh, as soon as I trigger the third in power, you're going to go back to being a 1-1. <laughs> yeah. I will say, do you know what the card right above uh, Coastal Recruit is on our sheet of... Important cards. Oh, what's that? The egg. Oh, God. I know. Hey, I mean, I guess they make their way into most of the decks. Yeah. 
we've talked about it a lot that we're not super strong on egg. And I think Avagraft is not like premium removal, but it is removal. And uh, yeah, so that's where I, I would have been. And I, I think I would have viewed myself as pretty solidly. It's interesting because all of these picks, more or less, I view myself as a Carindon deck. That's mostly because I still think of myself as having the the shadow weapon and <laughs> and annihilate yeah and you get entrapment so all of my picks from here on out are sort of influenced by the fact that i'm kind of thinking that i'm in Carindon, while that is actually less true of spiro's deck he's like mono time <laughs> and then just has uh you know one or two justice cards one or two shadow cards one or two primal cards and one or two fire cards either way he took the arachnidon egg here so now pack uh two pick three cards in contention are there's a fur hat the three justice one one summon draw justice sigil from your deck there's a fireheart recruit there is a mob roll and a consuming greed if you're really thinking that um, you're on this Aurelian deck. And Spiro took the Fireheart Recruit, which, once again, is maybe not a card that I would take in this situation. I, maybe he's really valuing that Monolith Guardian, and maybe he's thinking kind of what you're thinking, that he's now trying to move into Fire Time something. It's, deck. That's, it's an interesting pick. I feel like... This is one of those picks where I would probably would have just taken the token of instinct. Oh. Um, just because it leaves the door open for other things. Because, um, like, you know, he's got a good, one good primal card, one good shadow card, one good, you know, praxis card, one, one good justice card. So, like, right now, and then the rest are time. So you're really not invested any direction and so to me just taking the fixing here feels like like the moment to take fixing <laughs> right if if there is a moment to start like thinking about fixing this is it when you're like losing out what a lazy fire main fireheart recruit mob rule isn't looking particularly broken or anything yeah. even consuming greed also doesn't have a lot of support yet so, so, yeah, none of these are looking spectacular or particularly important. So, yeah, I would have just gone with the token. Also, it's premium. Yeah. I <laughs> I actually think I would have taken the fur hat. I just really like that card. I like drawing sigils. I like cool. drawing more power. But Yeah, it's pretty good with a flight lieutenant, too. Yeah. If you were going that direction. Okay, so pack uh, two, pick four, cards of contention. There is the Wind Cloak, which is the two primal pay f relic pay for to give one of your units flying this turn. There's an Iron Hook. There's a Token of Honor, another Awaken the Ages, and that's about it. And Spiro took the Wind Cloak. So he's continuing to want to support that Monolith Guardian, I think. And is maybe thinking of moving into Geneve, I guess. Yeah, looks that way. Yeah. Really is a shame that he didn't take that season spelunker. 
Yeah. And pack one. I mean, that one. That's like the one pick I feel like that's happened in this draft that's coming back to bite him so far. Mm-hmm. The re- uh, most of them, they were just kind of like tentative. Like, yeah, maybe this is open. Okay, it wasn't. Maybe this. Uh, okay. But like that, that was a pick where it's like, you're already in time and taking the Jack's choice over the solid Spelunker. It's just a little greedy to me. Yeah. And yeah, this Windcloak would have been an amazing payoff for that and the Monolith Guardian as well. Yes. And I think Wind Windcloak is a solid card. I think that it's it's not going to be a, a card that's going to show up in our, our seven win spreadsheet statistics or anything because how many Windcloaks is a deck going to want? But yeah. like it does it does win games. It it is quite good for the you know, for the same reason that a lot of those give your units flying cards are good. <laughs> And if the crossover between that and some other Relic Matters cards as well is good. Yeah. And, you know, there's a chance you get something like uh, Windler. Cards like that, like, like now now become much more powerful. Yeah. Like, if you see something like that. I know I bring, I bring up Swindler every time I see a two-drop Relic. I'm like, ooh, gotta get a Swindler now. I know. <laughs> What's interesting is, because this is the pick... Where I would have been like, if there's ever a time to just pick the token, it'd be now. But mostly, the, I guess that would be because I was I was not thinking about moving into Geneve at this point. And I was not giving much stock to that Monolith Guardian. So I was just thinking our only primal card is Dragon Breath. And I don't know if Windcloak is the next primal card I want to take. At least, especially without sort of any fix I would rather have the fixing before I started speculating on Windcloak. Right. Well it's a token of honor. Is the for those of you listening, this is the card that Yeah, no he's it's, talking about, which you know is we're main, definitely in time. Like absolutely one hundred percent. The other the other factions are kind of still not quite decided. Yes. I could see I could see the argument for token of honor here. I, I also think Iron Hook. Yeah. Special shout out to Iron Iron Hook is always very solid and does he doesn't have a lot of he only has that Fireheart recruit at three, so it would have been a good card. I I think it's close between the cloak and the hook, but I like the cloak pick. I think that was definitely defensible. Yeah, no, actually that's just I would have never thought it was defensible, but now having seen the sort of monolith guardian Geneve sort of relic matters deck i it's sort of it's starting to make sense to me um so pack uh, pack 2 pick 5 cards in contention there's another token of honor there's a carnivorous sauropod there and a fall short and he took the carnivorous sauropod Nice. Um, which makes sense. It, you know, it follows what you were just saying. So I think that's probably he's probably very happy to pick that card. And, yeah, yeah. This is this is exactly what you want to see at this stage. Yep. The draft. Yeah. And yeah, and I was thinking fall short because once again I'm still <laughs> I'm still living my uh, Carindon dream. But let's uh, yeah. Not any not any good shadow really coming around. No, 
Not not uh, that, that ship seemed like it sailed. Although next pick, <laughs> he takes a shadow card. Yeah. Oh yeah, he takes a lot of colors. Uh, yeah. So pack two, pick six. Uh, cards in contention. There's a display of knowledge. The three time primal shadow. Uh, put an attacking unit on the bottom of the deck. Draw a relic of your choice. Give one of your units plus two, plus zero, and quick draw. There's a flickerling, an aerial spotter, consuming greed, a mob roll, and a sand crawler. And he took the display of knowledge, which I guess, you know, maybe he's thinking that he could splash the shadow for the display of knowledge and the annihilate and still be a Genev deck. Yeah, I think that that, I mean, I would almost abandon red for display of knowledge and annihilate those those are way more powerful than sauropod and like fireheart recruit and even monolith guardian is not even guaranteed to to function properly where a display of knowledge is um i've heard some people say they think it's the best display in draft um and it's it's close it might be because it is a straight up answer to their best threat or the the combat an incredible combat trick or searching for a relic which is sometimes yeah relevant the, the fact that it's not even a combat tr- i mean it's a combat trick plus a permanent buff really powerful oh right yeah i always forget that's that's like permanent stat boost that's crazy yeah, yeah. That, that card's really really strong <laughs> it just just the fact that it's a card that's either a removal spell or a really super powerful combat trick is is amazing so i i like that pick i think what else are you gonna take you know you got a flickerling and a sand crawler which are both good three drops but he's not really dedicated he's not gonna go into shadow for a flickerling yeah um, and mob rule is still not like i said same reason as flickerling it's not a reason to go shadow necessarily no i There's i display of knowledge is definitely a reason yes that's true so yeah, I think at this point he's he's setting himself up to be just primarily time with a bunch of powerful supporting splashes all over the place, and Wolf probably was probably figuring, you know, I'll I'll think through this once things kind of come together, and yeah. So his final deck list is uh, pretty interesting. He actually has a lot of powerful cards, and. Uh, you know, I'm having trouble comprehending it just because, like, it's based on his draft is just like a deck that I would not have pulled together. But he went solid, solidly Genev, but Splash for Annihilate and Jack's Choice. And then also the Display of Knowledge, which he had in the market because he picked up a Great Valley Smuggler. He has some pretty good units. You know, he has the Monolith of Guardian. Two of the nesting avasaur that we talked about. He has a twin brood sauropod, the cerasaur bull that we talked about. Then for his attachments, I think his attachments are probably a little weak to support um, his relic. Not that he has a ton of relics or a ton of relic matters cards, but he does have a lucky prospector, the monolith guardian, uh, the great valley smuggler, and a Sirocco glider. But his relics are, he has a Mesmerized Moth, an Arachidon Egg, and an Astromancer's Compass, and the Wind Cloak. 
Yeah, it's about the bare minimum you would want to do, especially play something like Monolith Guardian. Yeah. Because it's a risky card to play, because if you don't have the Relic, a 1-1 for 4 is not going to do much. Yeah. It's not like a medium card that gets really strong. It's like a really awful card that gets crazy powerful if you have the Relic. So it's a little risky. Yeah, and I mean, the Lucky Prospector is not too exciting as a 1-1 for 1 either. Yeah, I don't think I, that probably should have made his final cut. Yeah. All around. I don't think it's it's doing enough. I th- I would rather have even any spell or unit over that. Yes. Um and then uh and I just realized they actually have the Great Valley Smuggler and an Aurelian Merchant. Um yeah. I think Oh the, yeah, nice. That's crazy. The, the main problem with the deck is that they're four colors and they have no fixing besides for you know all that they have 18 basic sigils as their power base. Which yeah. Yeah, I think that, that that's definitely something that I noticed. There were there were a couple of picks where I think a token um was missed out. Yeah. For like a a very medium to maybe even below average card, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you you gotta really like jump on those opportunities when they present themselves to you. Yeah, if you're not losing out on something, you know, yeah. potentially game winning. I, I yeah, and in Spiro's defense, um, there's solidly time. So time, you know, is over half the pie chart up here. All right, so uh, I'll post a screenshot to the link, and he sent uh, his picks in in a PDF form, so I'll put a link to his PDF too, so uh, any listeners can follow along. Um, So I think that's our show here. Um, Once again, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Thumbs up all of Barefoot Farmer's Reddit posts. Uh, and send all of your seven win deck lists to farming eternal at gmail.com. And yeah, we'd love to hear from you, any feedback or any suggestions you have and remember to keep on farming. Frost wave, which only got a three rating and the tier list. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's what that column is, yeah. That's why I don't listen to tier list. <laughs> that's not why. Yeah. Well, I like, that, pretty I like that Ben was like talking, he, he made a comment about how it's like, by just telling everybody that the best way to get better is just by playing, what's the point of you having a podcast trying to help people get better? I'm like, that's that's a good point, kind of. <laughs> like, maybe I should just quit doing this. I feel like it's more like fun and also helping new players and stuff. I just I never want to understate the fact that like you don't get to make up for just having experience playing. <laughs> like, yeah, you can't just look at a tier list and though. Okay, I got this format figured out. Yeah. Because these tier lists are kind of junk in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have nuance. That's why I think... They're they're kind of... I mean, even if you look at it, what use is this tier list if, like... 
like all of these good cards are just the same rating for the most part. You know? Like it doesn't tell you anything. Because they're they're like an averaged out number from a bunch of other people giving ratings. So what you end up with is a list that's like mostly like all hovering around the same numbers. And it's not even like clear what they actually think is good. Right. And it doesn't tell you anything or help you figure out like what decks to draft and how to draft them. No, I so I I agree. I think that's why I uh, I keep pushing for like you know, top 5 commons, top 3 uncommons or whatever cuz I think that gives you much better sort of pack one pick one kind of information which is actually like where tier lists, you know, or pack one pick one through four information than a tier list. Cause it's like, you know, just looking at their tier list for like Genev where courier albatross and Perry are both 3.5. So pack one, pick one, which one are you supposed to take? You know what I mean? And so it's like, because it's not, it's not like a ranked rating. It's just like a numbering system. It really doesn't help you practically know what to do unless you're lucky enough to have cards of all different values or whatever. <laughs> so I think like having a ranked system is, is a much better way of thinking about it than a tier list. Like these are the best fire color cards. These are the best primal cards. <laughs> 